Hey, welcome into Sportsbeat KC. It is Monday, March 14th, and we are live down here in Surprise, Arizona for another Royals podcast. Um, on today's show, we're going to talk about Jordano Ventura and his path to becoming the Royals' best starting pitcher in 2016. We're going to talk about the Royals' 25-man roster and how it's shaping up with three weeks to go in spring training. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Alex Gordon and his upcoming season in 2016 and how the Royals managed to re-sign one of the best players in franchise history. Uh, but first, let's let's go around. Sam Mellinger is here. Hi. Sam, what's up? You got in on Sunday? I did. Yeah, Sunday morning. And uh, here for a couple more days. So this is like the time of year where it seems like you're flying around a lot. <laughs> right. And Because uh, you were at the Big 12 tournament. You were at spring training earlier this month. Mm-hmm. And now you're going to go to Des Moines on... Thursday. Not a flight, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I'm you gonna go. Fly back to Kansas City. Yeah, I'm flying back to Kansas City on Wednesday night, and then I'm actually not gonna go to Des Moines until either Friday night or Saturday morning, just because, you know, the wife is 36 weeks. So. So you're uh, not going to the first round game. Right. Yeah. I'm, so when 16 beats a one, I'm gonna miss be, history. You're gonna be screwed. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna miss history. Vahe Gregorian will have to uh, get the whole thing. Um, but yeah, I just I I felt really bad about you know if i was going to be gone for like eight straight days or nine straight days whatever it would have ended up being so um i figure kansas should be able to get past austin p and uh and then i'll catch him against yukon or colorado cool and we're also here with pete gradoff who is a writer blogger reporter editor and basically the most valuable employee at the kansas city star in 2016 that's a true fact Hey, I hope my bosses are listening. Yeah. <laughs> Can you guys write my review for me? <laughs> yeah. um, but hey, yeah, let's let's get into it. It's um, it's Monday. The Royals played uh, the White Sox today. I, I think they played the White Sox. They, they did. did. Yeah, I can't that's, confirm. That's, right. that's good. Um, yeah. Ventura pitched, and um, this was his his third outing of the spring, and they're still kind of building up pitch counts, but. I feel like this was probably his best outing of the spring, and he actually had some good ones earlier. Um, but, Sam, you, you wrote about this today, and I think it'll be in Tuesday's paper. Um, just sort of his path in in 2016 and what he has to, to gain. Um, this is a guy that in 2014 was maybe one of the Royals' best starting pitchers and, and maybe one of the best rookie starting pitchers in baseball. And then last year sort of had his his year of, of growing pains and all the all the issues. And I, I was forgetting this, but like last April, there was like a four-start stretch where he didn't come out of a game in like a normal way. Yeah. He had two starts of cramps and he was getting thrown out of baseball games <laughs> right. and causing all sorts of ruckuses. But like, what, what, what do we make of Jordana Ventura in 2016? Yeah, so I, I actually think that he is poised that he he is in a great position to have a huge year um you know like i i, I think he's going to be great I, I really do i i think that um what he did in 2014 was like pure talent in some ways and kind of ambushed some people and surprised some people and then i think last year was um the result of a lot of things like one is is uh not enough maturity um two is uh, a huge workload the year before Um, and three, I think that maybe this goes back to maturity, but I don't think he was really taking care of himself all that well, um, you know, away from the field sometimes. And, and I think that you can see a different, like, and I'm not trying to make this like a best 
best shape of his life kind of thing here. But uh, he's slimmed down. Like he's he's in really good shape. And I just I look at that as sort of a commitment that he's made to put himself in the best shape of what he knows um, can be a really big year for him. Yeah. You made this point in the column, and I think it's um, it's like it's right that it has nothing to do with his pitching. But being down here, you can sort of see it. He's trying to speak more English this year. Yeah. He's doing interviews in English for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, not with big groups, but he'll, he'll talk in English after a start or mm-hmm. if you talk to him before the game. And I think... Like you wrote in the in the in the column that it really has nothing to do with his pitching and right. it's sort of a little thing and it really has if he performs well it's not because he's you know you know growing up or or all these sorts of things but but it's something there you know it's yeah. like he's he's he he's wants to I think um, kind of take that next step yeah I mean I, and and look like I totally get the the hesitation that guys have sometimes of, of speaking their second language to a bunch of people whose that's their first language and their job is to yeah. um, disperse those words to to big audiences I totally get the hesitancy and so um, you know if guys like Kendrys Morales never want to you know uh, have a have a interview without a translator I'm totally fine with that but I, I just think that with Jordano um, it's it's just a sign. It's just a small sign that he's that he has a growing growing comfort, um, that he has a growing confidence. He's not totally, um, you know, at ease uh, speaking English. Um, you know, I think you can see that in his body language sometimes when he's doing interviews, um, which I totally get. You know, um, but I think that it's a sign that he's, um, you know, growing up a little bit. That he's willing to give it a try and see how it goes. And and, and it seems like I don't think there's like a set policy or anything, but it seems like he'll do like one-on-one interviews or maybe just a real small group, like just, you know, two guys or whatever um, in English. But if it's going to be more than that, I think he wants to do Spanish. Yeah, this is probably um, a, a bigger point than we have time for on the podcast. But I, I also think it's sort of interesting. He's he's going to be t- 25 mm-hmm. in June. And I think we think of him as a young guy. Mm-hmm. And I think also we think sometimes of Latin players as being younger than they really are mm-hmm. for like lots of weird cultural reasons, but like he's not. I guess the point is he's not young anymore. Right. I mean, he's not like this twenty-one, twenty-two-year-old pitcher yeah. who's sort of finding his way. Like he's reaching, if not the prime of his career, he's reaching sort of like the pre-prime where where he can be. And, and pitchers sort of reach the prime at, at younger ages too than a lot of hitters. Yeah, do. They, I, absolutely. I mean, if if you look at. Um... As a matter of fact, I think Zach Greinke's 2009, I think he was 25 years old. Um, you know, if you look at the the history of a lot of pitchers, they have huge, huge years at, at 25. And and I, I was kind of frustrated last year when Jordano's going through these ups and downs and, and a lot of drama that he created. Um, but that was like an excuse, I think, that a lot of people use is he's just a kid. He's just so young. And I'm like, he's 24. You know, it's, that's not... You know, 18. That's not 17. That's not. Um, you know, he he, he is young, um, but he's not. He's not a kid, and and I just think that um, he had some growing up to do that had nothing to do with being too young. Um, and and I really believe that um, he had to fail. You know, like he went through the minor leagues 
and I'm pretty sure he was wiping folks out. You know, I mean, this was a guy that, you know, JJ Piccolo and, and a lot of those Royals executives had been tapping as, you know, that's our ace. You know, that's going to be our ace in five years. Like he'd been hearing that for a long time. And I think maybe he needed to fail and he needed to see that, um, you know, sometimes your stuff isn't enough and it doesn't work and you have to back it up with a lot of work and commitment. Yeah, Zach Greinke was 25 years old in 2009. Yeah, and, and, and that's... Young, which is a little bit different, a little wild that he was still that young because he had at that point left baseball and then come back and yeah, <laughs> like he yeah. made like a full career before he was even 25 yeah and there, there's a lot of really great pitchers who um you know have career years and Zach's had a really good career after that but he he hasn't been as good as he was in 2005 and um you know like and and I think that's a pattern I think um you know without looking it up I mean um you know I bet Roger Clemens at 25 was quite the badass I mean I, I just think that that's a that's a time where your talent, your physical abilities, your physical talent is at a peak. And, um, you know, we always think about velocity with Jordano Ventura, but to me it's always been about his off-speed stuff and especially his curveball. And, and, you know, today was his changeup. Um, he got four out of his six strikeouts um, on a changeup. The other two were curveballs. Um, but that's what he has to do because his fastball is straighter than you want it to be, um, particularly when he throws it in the upper 90s. And, and if big league hitters know that's coming, they can tee off on it. Okay, I'm looking at Jordano Ventura's baseball reference page, and they have the projections on here for the Marcel uh, Marcel's projections, which is one of the, the nerdy things that you can look at. So this is what they have for Jordano in 2016. Uh, they have him a 3.74 ERA uh, with 148 strikeouts and 159 innings pitched. Um, are you going to say, are you going to be more bullish than that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I always, I'm not a stocks guy. Does bullish mean I think he'll be better than yeah, that? Yeah, bullish good. is good. All right. um, yes, then, then I, I would be more bullish on that. I, I just, um, you know, <laughs> we're all guessing, right? Yeah, when, these projections any... are taking into account last year, and they don't have a lot of history with him. But, yeah, so, I mean, there's yeah, we're basically all averaging his last two seasons out to more or less. Right, right, and and probably a little bit higher than the average of those two seasons. But I just I think he's way more of that guy the first year um, of of twenty fourteen. Um, that that's his talent, that's his talent level. And um, it, the other thing I think about with him is is um, when he got sent down. I forgot whatever the date was, and, and sent down in in, in air quotes, right? Because um, he never actually went down. But he his ERA was like three point one uh, from that day forward, and and. It just, you know, look, like maybe I'm creating something that's not there, but I, I believe that when he heard, you know, Dayton Moore and Ned Yost and those guys say, you are no longer helping our big league team, and, and we are no longer, like, we are better without you than we are with you. Um, I think that pissed him off, and, and I think it, it in a good way, and I think it motivated him, and he kind of refocused and realized that he couldn't just do it on talent. Jordano Ventura was nine and two with a three point five six ERA during the second half of the season last year. Yeah, so. yeah, and I think those numbers are even better after the, you know, was, uh, yeah. the non demotion because that, that first game was against the Astros um, in July, like twenty first or something like that. Um, but anyway, I think it was a three point one zero ERA. But as, as long as he can stay focused and 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 not, um, Dave Island talks about this of of you know watching his body language and you know. Um, if he gets hit around a little bit, if he gets two guys on, you know, um, if he slows his pace a little bit, that can be a good thing if it calms him down. 
Um, and, and I think that you started to see that, you know, of a realization that it's not going to be perfect every game. Um, and, you know, next batter, you know, that kind of mature focus that I think sometimes it takes. If, if I can whip the fans into a frenzy talking about that uh, age 25 year, uh, Clemens actually, looking it up here, had, it's coming off a couple Cy Youngs. At age 23 and 24, his 25 year, he had a 293 or yeah, 2.93 ERA, struck out 291. But Pedro Martinez is 25 year. When he was 25, 1.90 ERA won his first Cy Young, and his career really took off. Now, I'm not going to say he's going to be Pedro Martinez, but <laughs> I think he was a pretty did. good yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's right. I Anything whip less. the fans into a frenzy here, but you know, you're talking about that 25 year old thing, and yeah. yeah, I'm with you. He needed to struggle a little bit, and you know, Ned yeah. Yost said that today too. Yeah, guys, learn baseball's yeah. in a, about adjustments. You know, you succeed. It's about you figure it out. You got to fail. Yeah, it's and about getting punched in the face and then get back. Because other than Mike Trout, <laughs> every everybody fails. Mike, you know, even Bryce Harper, you know, had uh, relatively speaking, you know, some struggles when he first came up. Most of it was injuries, but anyway, every everybody struggles. You have to react to it. We we talked about it a lot, but I feel like the Royals starting pitching one through five or one through six or whatever you want to look at their starters, they match up pretty well, but they don't have a, a so-called number one mm-hmm. really anywhere. So I. I mean, that would be, if, if Ventura could be even a number two or, or something close to that, I think that would kind of fill a void that's on their roster for sure. Yeah, no doubt. But let's, let's move on. Um, let's, let's talk about the Royals' 25-man roster. And we've talked about all camp, how there's like not a lot of intrigue. But the Royals today made their first uh, roster cuts and sort of thinned things out a little bit and sort of uh, gave us an inkling or an idea of, uh, of what the 25-man roster is going to be. Namely, they optioned Bubba Starling and Kyle Zimmer to the minors. No surprise there. Um, Miguel Almonte also went to AAA with Kyle Zimmer. But they also optioned out uh, Brett Eibner and Jose Martinez, a couple of fringy outfielder types who were sort of in the competition, maybe, but you know, sort of, sort of uh, guys that, that could have kind of maybe claimed a spot when Gerard Dyson got hurt. But now, if you look at the roster, there's essentially um, you've got three outfielders in Paulo Orlando, Alex Gordon, and Lorenzo Cain, and then you've got another two guys, Raymond Fuentes and Travis Snyder. And then you've got Whit Merrifield, who's sort of emerged as a utility guy who can play the outfield or the infield. So I think, um, Sam, you can... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think that it's playing out to the point. They've got a couple other options, some veteran guys in, in camp, but I think it's kind of the path has sort of been cleared, or I don't know if that's the right metaphor, but to have a bench that basically is Christian Colon backing up the infield, and then you've got Raymond Fuentes holding a, a spot for Gerard Dyson, and then you might have Wood Merrifield sort of as the 25th man who can, who can be a fifth outfielder and an extra infielder. Yeah, I mean, um, and did I make the bad joke last podcast that Whit Merrifield looks like a game show host? Yes. Okay, dang it. <laughs> All right, well, he does. Do you agree, by the way? He, I suppose he does. Although I will say that he's put on 20 pounds in this offseason, and maybe we can just bring up Whit Merrifield's diet and talk about that for like 10 minutes because his diet is the most unbelievable thing I've heard like this week at camp. So this is what he did in the offseason. He put on 20 pounds. He went from 175 to 190. His day started with nine eggs for breakfast. Oh my god! In addition to oatmeal, 
Uh, I didn't ask him like how he made the eggs. That was poor reporting on my part. Um, but then he would go to three meals in the middle of the day of uh, chicken, rice, and vegetables. Three servings of that. Then he would have that again for dinner, except he wouldn't have chicken. He would have some sort of red meat. And then in between that, he was eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and protein shakes while he was at the gym. I don't know how you work out when you're like so but just the, full. But the yeah. best the best part of the story was he compared it. We were like, man, like, how, you know, how was that? And he was like, well, you know, it was pretty tough at first. He's like, it was a little bit like running. He's like, you sort of had to condition your body to do it and you sort of hit the wall. And uh, he's like, but after I got sick a few times, uh, <laughs> I was I was able to to kind of push through and, and get it going. Nice. So I and apparently he so he at least puked twice while you're eating all that food. But good. I'm, I'm with you. How can you work out on a full stomach? No, it's just it's uncomfortable. Yeah. And and we assume his stomach was full, right? Yeah. He's been uh, nine eggs. Nine yeah. eggs is like. Just the idea that makes but I people feel like vomit. That's, I'm done for the day, and I don't know if he was chugging nine eggs and putting those in a shake, or if he was. I told just... you it was Cool Hand Luke, man. You ever see that? You know, Paul Newman eating the fifty eggs, hard-boiled eggs. Ugh. Can you imagine? He, I, no way, nine hard-boiled eggs. I don't know. Well, okay, so to, to get this thing back <laughs> on track, uh, the Royals. Ned Yost actually likes Wood Merrifield, and I don't know if yeah. he's. Uh, I don't know if he's a guy in the future who's a, a long-term kind of part of the of the outlook or the 25-man roster maybe it's a short-term thing maybe he's up and down a lot um but he can play all seven positions and he is 27 years old he's kind of fits their profile it's just sort of a grinder good athlete mm-hmm. um and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's on the opening day roster in some capacity yeah i mean he can hit a little bit yeah and um you know the 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 idea you mentioned his age, and I think he's like kind of a mature player. Um, and you know, one thing about once you get to those last few spots on the roster, um, you know, managers are always going to err on the side of the guy that they don't think is going to hurt them. You know, a guy that can just play the position that I don't have to worry about. Um, you know, on a different level, that's how Ross Glode would stay in the big yeah. leagues. Um, that's why he played so much for the Royal, for some of those bad Royals teams. And I think Whit Merrifield has like, um, I, I get the sense that one of the things the Royals, Ned Yost specifically, one of the things they like about him is that they, they have that feeling that he's just, we're not going to get beat there. You know, he, he may not hit a double for us or win a game or whatever, but but he can he can be fine. Yeah. I think he's sort of like a poor man's Willie Bloomquist. Willie Bloomquist, yeah, who just yeah, retired. Yeah. He just retired. With a he great retirement tweet. Yeah. Yes. Somebody with the Royals today said that Wood Merrifield, he, does, he can play shortstop. He's not, he's not the athlete that Willie Bloomquist was and who could, could play shortstop every day, not very well, but like could, could kind of fake it. If you've it. got a really bad team, he can yeah. play shortstop for you every day. <laughs> he could. If yeah. you were the, the 2010 Royals or the 2014 <laughs> yeah. Diamondbacks, <laughs> right. yeah, he could, right. he could do it. But... But like he's, I think he's a, a guy like that. So I, he'll, he's got a chance to make it. I think they could play around with those last couple pieces and yeah. go with a veteran. Or the one thing against him though is not on the forty man roster, so they would have mm. to make a move. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, they've got a lot of flexibility though, yeah. and they've got some guys that that will likely be moved off of there anyways. Like a Ramon Torres is on the forty man, and some other guys that you probably aren't really coveted by. The other major league teams. Mm-hmm. Whit Merrifield hit like three, three forty last year. Not this, not fifteen. Two thousand fourteen at Omaha. Yeah, and it's 
JJ, you know, I told you that, said that he's the kind of guy that they don't really expect to promote, at least in the beginning, and then he just plays so well, he, well, you got to move him out and see what he can do mm-hmm. there, and they keep testing him, and he's had a pretty good spring. Yeah. He has, and I, I think... It's too early to say the second base competition is over, but <laughs> I think it would take a lot for Omar Infante to not be starting second baseman for at least 30 to 40 games. It with, would take an injury that would keep him out for 30 yeah. to 40 games, right? Like, and and where we like, I don't want to put words in either of your mouths, but like, I was a little bit dubious that it was an open competition in the first place. Like to me, it it had the stink of like. We want to motivate Christian Cologne. We like Christian Cologne. We like, you know, um, we want him on the team, um, and we don't want to put, you know, Dayton always says like we won't, we won't put ceilings on players. And if he just came in and just crushed it, and 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 Infante's arm was shot and stuff like that, then maybe, you know. But I, I always got the sense I was going to be Omar Infante's job until, you know, if he's if he's hitting like two oh eight with no power. Um, and and not playing defense, and they're going to make a move at some point. But I, to me, that was always going to be Infante's job, right? Yeah, I, I I think that's fair. I mean, if if for no other reason, what were they going to do with Omar Infante? Exactly, with his contract, and I mean, they there was always going to be motivation for them to see what they have in him, mm-hmm. or see if they can get something out of the contract. Mm-hmm. One spring training. Of Christian Cologne going out and hitting 300 or 350 or whatever he did was, yeah. I don't think was going to change their mind. Yeah. Um, I mean, it just from a roster standpoint, it just doesn't really make sense to have Omar Infante as as what your backup second baseman. I mean, it seems. Yeah, if he's not a regular, yeah, I think you. There's. I think you caught him. Yeah. You know, he he's not going to do any good on your bench. Yeah. You know? And so, I mean, he was going to have to play his way out of the job, and there's. Very rare that anybody's going to play their way out of a job in spring training, right? Unless right. you get hurt, you right? Know, right. As you said, so. Um, Cologne's zero for twenty-two. We should throw that in, right? Yes. Yeah. No hits and twenty-two at bats, but three walks. And he does have a little statue, uh, a little Joe, Joe Boo. Boo statue from the movie Major <laughs> League, with a cigarette in the mouth, and so he's he's on, he's on it. But one thing about Infante, because I haven't seen enough of it to say yet, but um, like, how is his arm? Of what you've seen at second base, like, I mean, is it stronger than it was last year? I don't know if I'm educated enough to say he's played second base like two games. Okay. In the first game, I don't think he got a ball over there. Um, yeah. So I don't know that there's been a large enough sample size. He hit a ball hard yesterday to left field, had a double. That mm-hmm. was about his first hit of the spring. Of spring, uh, but it's been it's essentially looked like Omar Infante. Yeah. I mean, it's been hard so, to. I really think, like the um, especially the way they play and the way they want their team to be built, um, they can get by with him not providing offense. Because and Christian Cologne, like let's not kid ourselves, like the, Christian Cologne, who I like, like he's not Ryan Sandberg on the bench, um, but it's it's defensively and and Infante is like real smooth with with his hands and his footwork and stuff around the back. But um, you know there were times like he's lolly popping that throw. Um, you know, can't turn double plays. They're giving up outs on that. Um, Alcides Escobar has taken every relay throw, you know, even a ball in the right field corner. Escobar's running over there to, um, you know, to do the relay throw. They just can't have him be that much of a liability with his arm. I think that's, that's the biggest thing to me. Cool. We're going to finish <laughs> this podcast out um, by talking about a 
column that Sam wrote in for Sunday's edition of the Kansas City Star. And uh, stick around, actually, for a bonus segment after this. We're going to try to get Andy McCullough on the phone. Uh, he's down here in Arizona doing, like, nothing. I don't think he's worked in, like, a month. Uh, <laughs> he went home to Philadelphia. He's been just hanging out, going to concerts, you know. Right. Just came, came over to Royals camp today just to hang out. Bored. And, yeah. Yeah, so... Had, came over to talk to Edinson Volquez. He's got time to come over, <laughs> drive halfway across Phoenix just to talk to Edinson Volquez right. for like three minutes. To get one quote, yeah. So, uh, but we'll, we're going to try to get Andy on uh, to see what he's been up to for the last month. But let's let's finish off here um, with Alex Gordon. So there's a lot of different ways we can start this, but Sam, you wrote a column essentially about the eight weeks where Alex Gordon wasn't a royal and how the Royals were able to basically do something that nobody thought they were going to be able to do, which is re-sign Alex Gordon. Um, what, after doing all the reporting and after talking to people and then writing that, like any different takeaways than than when, you know, immediately after he signed? Yeah, I mean, um, there was, I guess I hadn't done the complete inventory of all the things that needed to happen for the Royals, for, for this yeah. to, to happen. And, you know, because... You know, we all knew, I knew, you know, from talking to some of the guys in the front office that they were not optimistic about this deal getting done at all. But, you know, it, it was just this this line of, um, you know, the biggest thing was Jason Hayward signing with the Cubs. That wiped out the Cubs and the Cardinals as potential suitors for him. Um, and then, uh, you know, Colby Rasmus taking the qualifying offer and staying in Houston. Um, the Mets were looking for a corner outfielder, but Alex was never going to go to New York. Um, the Angels decided kind of strangely not to spend. Um, the White Sox, I think, I don't know this, but I think the White Sox were the team that he was closest to, you know, to signing with. That was, he said that there was one major team. He got offers presented to him by his agent, Casey Close, but there was one major team um, and that he kind of pictured like in the other uniform. And I'm pretty sure it was the White Sox. I don't know that for sure. Um, Alex is a very private guy, but it was just, I, I guess like th that, like taking inventory of all the things that had to go right for the Royals. And then the other part was, I knew that the, the, the officials that, that like, you know, Dayton and JJ and those guys, um, thought that Alex was gone, but I didn't know like how thoroughly the players thought that too. You know, I mean, they yeah. were openly talking about it and somewhat joking about it, but it was, you know, Hosmer 100% gone. You know, Kane was, you know, saying it was nice knowing you at the end of the season. Um, you know, uh, Luke Hochaver was so surprised that when, when he found out, he jumps up in the air and, you know, it was like <laughs> celebrated like, you know, he just signed the $72 million contract, you know. So that, that surprised me too, of just how thoroughly all the players assumed he was gone. Okay, so let's... I'm just one thing that fascinates me about the way the baseball free agent market works. So Jason Hayward signed for 184 million yeah. over. Uh, was that? I think it was eight years. Eight years, I think. And so that essentially, the entire time he was going to set the market for outfielders, uh -huh. and was um, basically Alex Gordon was in a holding pattern until he signed. Uh -huh. Yet he signs for 184 million and. Then it felt like there was this like vacuum, or there was this like no no other like top outfielders were signing, mm -hmm. and none of them approached that. So, did the Cubs um, just pay like a premium for basically the best outfielder on the market? 
Or, well, yeah, they may have, but Jason Hayward's also a lot younger. Yeah, I mean, there's other factors, but um, I just, I don't, yeah. And, 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 and I do think that there's a significant gap between Hayward and, and Gordon and, you know, sort of the, yeah. the rest and of the second tier. you could also, I guess, you could technically tier. add Gordon's last two contracts together and get that eight-year window and yeah. yeah it would be a little that would maybe be a better comparison yeah although you, yeah but not to get too inside baseball but just take the last two years of that contract because those were his free agent years yeah. before that it was the arb years but um you know th- there was just a lot it was a slow moving market for for whatever reason and um you know nobody wanted to take the nationals money for some reason just because it's a um you know i read a story i can't remember i wish i could give credit to whoever wrote it but um, you know, the Nationals are having problems with their TV deal, and they're trying to structure all their contracts in a weird way that makes nobody want to yeah, sign there. I think that was Barry's um, for Luga. Was it Barry? Yeah, it probably was Barry. <laughs> um, but anyway, it just, like, it, it does seem like there was, um, you know, everybody thought, and Gordon thought this, his agent thought this, that once Hayward signed, it was just going to be dominoes. And it was like, Hayward signs nothing you know it was just like silence it was just um and that part of it was strange and some of it the royals had a strategy um not necessarily in terms of gordon um but they had a strategy that there were more uh players out there than than teams i mean essentially somebody like colby rasmus probably took the qualifying yeah yeah i mean that's a sign that okay there's the market's not great here for Uh outfielders if a guy's taking a qualifying offer which mm-hmm. guys rarely do yeah and 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 i think the free agent market next year is supposed to be really good yeah so you know maybe teams had that kind of leverage too where if we don't spend now we can spend more later um you know but that that, that was dayton's um you guys remember this like his musical chairs reference where he kind of said you know there, there's only so many chairs and there's a lot of people so when the music stops there's going to be guys that um you know need jobs and that you know that was their ryan madsen and especially their chris young mm-hmm last year so um but it was it's just a wild like there was so much hinging on this um in baseball for sure but also just sort of sentimentally of you know what alex gordon i mean just symbolically like this guy who was drafted by allard baird actually like i think it's easy for people to forget that um but he's just such a representation of you know they drafted him the year that i think they lost 104 games and you know he got sent down to the minor leagues by a team that lost 95 games <laughs> and then you know through really like hard work a lot of talent but also hard work uh humility um you know a lot of things he worked himself into you know one of if not the best left fielder hits the iconic home run in the world series i mean it's just they, they to lose all of that i think would have been just a punch in the gut or a little bit lower so alex gordon is 32 years old mm-hmm. i think he turned 32 in february right so he'll be um, aging into his kind of post-prime sure. in this deal. But what what can Alex Gordon be in 2016? I mean, have we seen the best of him? Well, yeah, I mean, sort of like what we were just talking about with pitchers. Like, a lot of them can have their career year at 25 and then still have great careers. Um, you know, the, the, the dominate year, was that uh, 2012? I think that was 20, 2011. 2011. Um, you know, he could, I don't know that he'll match that year just offensively, but I think he can be a really, really good hitter still. I I think he'll be better this year than he was last year. I think that last year, um, was hard for him in a lot of ways. He started the season hurt. He started the season, you know, he couldn't really work out. 
in the off season like he usually does uh, because of that wrist. And you know, if you're a major league baseball hitter and your wrist is messed up, like that's a bad yeah. injury to have. And I, I don't think he ever felt comfortable. And then he had the groin injury. And um, I, I think there were some. I know there were some uh, around baseball and even within the Royals that were kind of wondering: Is this, you know, is this the beginning of the end? And is this a guy that we're going to have to DH sometimes and and really pull back the throttle on? And I think that the way that he finished the season was really important for them. He, you know, last year, as much as he battled the injuries and then missed fifty some games, played in one hundred and four games, he did hit two seventy one with three seventy seven on base percentage and a 120 OPS plus. Mm-hmm. And if, I mean, if they, he matches those numbers this year in a full season, that's that's, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I guess what I'm saying is I, I think he can be better, better than that yeah. even. And, and I know that, you know, once you get past 30, you start to go down a little bit. But I just, I, I really do. I believe that, um, and without double checking, the, um, I, I think that he started slow, right? Um, you know, I think his numbers probably in the first half were... Um, Maybe worse than the second. Um, Rustin's going to check well, and see missed, if I'm right. I mean, he missed most of the second half, too. Yeah. No, that's true. But um, I, lo- I mean, the, let's see what he hit in the summer or when he wasn't hurt. Um, he was hitting, wow. Well, I guess that's only eight games, though. He was hitting 385 in June when he got hurt, or in July. But that was, I mean, that's eight games. Yeah. But uh, he hit, uh, actually, no, he, he started pretty well. He hit 303 in April and March. Uh 425 OBP. In your face, Sam. Yeah, 20. <laughs> so, yeah, he was, he was not bad. And then he kind of struggled um, a little bit in May and June, um, relatively speaking. He had 250, 256. On-base percentage was still pretty good in June. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're just wrong, Sam. Yeah, <laughs> it's happened once before. Uh, but, no, I guess, like, um, Alex is the kind of player that I, I do think that they're going to have to pull the throttle back a little bit because he plays so hard um, that I think he's hard on his body. Um, but he's also athletic, and athletic players tend to age um, relatively well. Um, obviously, keeps himself in, a, in really good shape. So I think if, if they can, um, you know, a full if a full season for him can be 145 games. You know, something like that, um, which would be about, what, a day off a week, a game off a week, something like that. Um, you know, I think they'll be in really good shape. Do you think what they, you know, guys starting to come in their primes, that maybe they don't need as much out of Gordon as they did a few years ago? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because um, it sounds like I'm uh, bullish, right, on, yeah. <laughs> on a lot of guys. But, like, I, I think Eric Hosmer is also um, there for, for a breakout. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, they don't need um, – you know, I mean, it was a joke. It was it was not what should have been happening for some reasons. But, you know, he was hitting eighth um, in the playoffs. And, you know, I think in my lineup, um, he'd be leading off. Um, but I think in, in reality, I think he'll probably end up hitting like sixth, um, I think, in their lineup. But, yeah, I mean, um, Hosmer's their guy, you know. Um, Kane is their guy. Um, you know, Morales, I don't think is going to be as good as he was last year, but um, he's still a professional hitter that hits a lot of line drives, a switch hitter in the middle of the lineup. That can be a good thing. But no, that's a good point. Like, they don't need him to be a superstar. They, um, they really like his defense. They need him to be around guys. I, th- I do think that he's a good influence, but, um, you know, they'll take solid Alex for sure. With the caveat that lineups don't matter, and yeah. we're really splitting the uh, 
the baloney pretty thin here. Do you have any issue with Alex Gordon hitting uh, hitting sixth <laughs> as opposed to hitting second and flipping him with Mike Moustakis? Because I think Mike Moustakis is going to end up batting second. Yeah. Ned Yost has not really not really hit that secret very well. Right. Um, but do you have any do you have any issue with that? Uh, I mean, not a huge one. I've never heard splitting the baloney really thin. I've never <laughs> heard that before. Um, but um, I, you know, I think that Gordon um, is a better hitter than Moose, and I think that he's a better fit for that spot in the lineup. But I also think that um, I also have a lot of respect for the idea that um, hitting second unlocks something in Moose, and and maybe the threat of having Kane behind him he got more hit more pitches to hit um and and i, I do think there are there are baseball logical baseball reasons in hindsight because i thought it was crazy when they did it um but logical baseball reasons that in hindsight that really works so i mean it's not what i would do but like you know whatever that doesn't mean that that i'm right as we've seen right yeah. but i just i think that alex like you know my ideal lineup would have him um hitting first and then you know i think you go Gordon, you just moved Kane, Kane up in second. Yeah. yeah, Hosmer three, Morales, Moose, Perez, and then you know yeah. you, you fill it out. But whatever. And then then Escobar could bat ninth. It's essentially the same exact <laughs> second same lineup. leadoff spot. Yeah, I mean, you just, he could bat swinging ninth. first. Same lineup, but you just flip it down. Yeah. All right, let's let's end with one really nerdy baseball question. Yeah. Um, Alex Gordon from in 2012, he had a 6.3 WAR, wins above replacement. 2013, he was 4.2. 2014, he was 6.6 wins above replacement. Uh, that was a pretty good year. Yeah. Uh, and then last year, uh, we can kind of throw it out because he didn't play that much. If he plays a full season, is he? Um, do you think he's a back to a six win player, which is like uh, definitely all star level? That's a big number. Yeah. Um, I, I would think more in the four range. Yeah. Um, six is a big number. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he can be in the fours. Okay. I, I think he's a really, really good player. I don't think he's like a superstar, but I think he's a really, really solid player. I'm sorry, Pete. No, I think he pushes five with his yeah. you know, war. With, really, depending on your war, you look at is if he's throwing guys defense, out. Yeah, yeah, his defense yeah. I think will make it push it toward five. I don't think he gets to six either. But yeah. I think it's safe to say. I mean, um, aside from Lorenzo Cain, Alex Gordon is probably the Royals' best player, and. It's probably best all around, best all yeah. around player, and that's probably not going to change in 2015, uh, 2016. Sorry, you know, even if Eric Hosmer goes crazy, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it could change in that, yeah, in that instance. But that's probably still the case that those two guys are there, yeah, their probably two best all around players. But I would say that, like, part of the royal strength is that they don't have like yeah. one guy, you know, like, um, and, and like I was, I was worried about them. When Gordon went down, and you know, because like it's not often that a guy gets hurt and his teammates have tears in their eyes when they're talking about mm-hmm. like what they're gonna do without you know while, while this guy's on the DL, and that happened with Alex, and I was I was worried about how that would affect him, and and they seem to move on. I mean, I, I think like if Kane gets hurt for an extended period of time, Escobar and Perez, I think those are the three guys they really can't afford just because. You, you take into account what they have behind yeah. those guys, um, but everybody else, I think they can absorb. Okay, that's, let's. That's the old spine of the, the team, right? Yeah, up, up the, the middle. middle. You gotta, yep. you gotta have your strength there. Yep. Okay, let's wrap this up. Um, Sam, what do you got coming? Uh, you're gonna be here for a few more days, but any, any other Royals stuff you want to, uh, you want to tease got, out there? Yeah, I mean, I got a George Brett thing that I think will be fun. 
um, that I might write tomorrow, uh, which will be Tuesday, March 15th, Rustin. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then um, there's one thing I want to keep quiet a little bit, and then, uh, but I, I'm mostly working on some section stuff. Like we're gonna have that uh, the baseball preview section coming out opening day i would assume right yeah um, that's correct um and, and I th- it'll be great like i that's one of my favorite sections that we do each year i think uh that in the football section i think um the staff does a really good job the editors do a great job so i'm looking forward to that what about you um i don't know i don't want to really want to say anything right now because i've got a lot of balls in the air and i don't Keep know when they're, i don't know when they're gonna <laughs> fall you know yeah I so uh, but there's a couple of a couple of stories i'm working on and uh We'll be around. I'm going to San Antonio this weekend for the Royals games at the Alamo Dome. There so, you go. Playing the Texas Rangers on Friday and Saturday. and uh, we'll 270 be... down the right field line. Yes. George Brett short, almost wanted to play. It's a short porch in the Alamo Dome. They don't oh really have a – I don't think it was built for baseball in mind. So <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, think... it's 270 down the right field line. So I'm kind of hoping that they like – 270. Let, kind of let, hoping that they let Eric Hosmer play the entire game and he hits like five home runs. <laughs> right. Um, Probably you know asking too much, but wait down the left field line. It's right, right field. Line. Oh, right, right field line. line. Sorry, right. Moose field is line. gonna pull everything. He's not going. <laughs> He's oh. not going. He's so mad. So, but I think the best. Uh, I think Eric Hosmer is the best left-handed hitter they have going. Yeah. Lorenzo Cain will be down there, and Perez and uh, Cologne and a few other regulars. But yeah. um, that's funny. But I'm hoping that I'm hoping that Eric Hosmer just like skies a 280 <laughs> foot pop up. Right. And it just goes out. That'd, you know? <laughs> that'd be great. So, um, you've been listening to Sports BKC for Sam Mellinger and Pete Gradoff. I am Rustin Dodd, and uh, we'll be back next week. <laughs>